Hello and welcome back to Where Two Become One. I'm very excited to be with you today. And as you may have guessed, I am back uh, to commenting on something Jared Halverson said. But I would really like it if you stayed with me for this whole episode. I am very excited about it. Uh, we're going to talk about some deeper, try to get a deeper understanding of the veil. I was listening to Halverson's podcast on Thursday for a couple hours, and we got to this place um, in Hebrews where it's revealed that Christ is the veil. And I mean, I thought it was interesting, but he seemed really jazzed about it, like really excited. And I don't know if I took that thought with me into the temple the next day on Friday, but as I passed through the veil into the celestial room, I picked up some scripture and and went to the topical guide and started reading about the veil. And suddenly this deeper understanding of the veil came to me and I got so excited and um, I went home and, and filmed I don't know, 20 minutes, but it, it felt, it still felt right, but it didn't come out quite right. And then today I was just sort of trying to feel it out and put, make it a little bit more tangible, put some fingers on the, uh, at the end of the arm, it was just kind of like this unformed feeling that I knew was important, but, um, had, didn't have any structure to it. And then this morning at the gym, it came to me. So I'm very excited to talk about the veil. First, let's listen to Jared Halverson's comments briefly. And then I want to go over these six points uh, behind me. If you're not watching on video, if you're listening on to audio, behind me on, on a poster board, there's six points about the veil. The points are, one, Christ is the veil. Two, his flesh is the veil. Three, flesh is the veil. Four, woman is the realm of flesh incarnate. Five, mother is the veil. And six, Christ is the divine feminine. And hopefully by the time I'm done, I'm going to be able to wrap six back into one, back into this verse in Hebrews, and, and it will all make sense. And um, we'll understand this idea of Christ being the veil at a deeper level uh, and see what a veil is at a deeper level on multiple planes. So let's get to it. So verse 19, having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. Now, he's got to finish the sentence in just a moment, but can we pause there and realize what Paul just told us? We're about to. I mean, this is eye-opening, jaw-dropping, veil-parting truth, because he just told us what the veil is. It's Christ's flesh. Now, let that sink in. Let's do that. Let's let it sink in. I love his enthusiasm and I feel the exact same way. So let's start with this idea that Christ is the veil. Number one, we just read it. By a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, 
that is to say his flesh. So Paul is talking about how when we are reborn or get exalted, we are able to go back to live with God and that that, that occurs through a, a veil, through a transition. And that Christ is that veil and more specifically that Christ's flesh is that veil. Um, I've drawn above these six points behind me uh, a circle split in half with a horizontal line so that there's two halves to this whole, a top half and a lower half. Above the top half I've written spirit and below the low bottom half I've written flesh just to sort of give a visual depiction of this journey from heaven at the top of the circle or in the realm of spirit down to earth, which is in the realm of flesh, okay, mortality, through that line, through that transition, and then back again into the Father's presence. What we're, what we're reading in this verse is that this horizontal line that separates these two halves through which one transitions is as a veil. It is like this semi-permeable thing. It's, it keeps people out, but it also lets people in. Um, it's, it's like that, um, science experiment with the cornstarch where you add the water. It's like both a solid and a liquid, depending on, um, how you engage with it. Well, that's pretty much identical. So Christ is the veil, but further his flesh is the veil. And what does that mean? Moving to number three. Flesh is the veil. I want to suggest to your mind that that flesh generally uh, serves as a veil. And what do I mean by that? Well, our spirit is buried in our flesh, kind of the way a corpse is buried in the ground, right? We existed before we came to earth in pre-mortality as spirit, and now we're in bodies. So where is our spirit? Well, it's in our body, but where? Like in, like deep buried in there, like at the center of our soul. And so our body buries our spirit, our eternal spirit in forgetfulness and corruption. It buries it in forgetfulness because our physical eyes can't see our pre-mortal past or our post-mortal future, or in other words, our our immortal aspect. And it buries our spirit in corruption because the tendencies of our body its very construct tends toward limitation and destruction. And the reason that is the case is because our bodies aren't set up for sustainability because they die. The way our bodies are composed, they have these animal instincts or these cravings. And so the pursuits of our flesh are not set up for sustainability because they are by definition temporal or temporary. So our spirit in this plan or this hero's journey gets buried inside of our bodies when we transition from our pre-mortal state to our mortal state. As our spirit sort of is revived and as our spirit resurfaces through our body as if it were being resurrected, that is what is called rebirth. So in this way, flesh is a veil because we don't remember our eternal aspect, and we don't see the full eternal picture. Um, 
it's obscured. You know, Paul says it's like we see through a glass darkly. Uh, I like to think of it as like we're at the bottom of a swimming pool or lake. And depending on the light and the waves, how they line up, you may get a glimpse of an accurate picture of what's, you know, uh, above the surface of that water. But for the most part, it's, it's, it's just really hard to tell what's really going on and, and what's true. Flesh is like that, is like that water, and we're veiled that way. Okay, so moving on to four. Now this is where I'm gonna, this is where I really start to get excited, and my only hope is that I don't stumble uh, on my excitement. Woman is the realm of flesh incarnate. Now, for you to understand what I mean by that, let me just back up, particularly if this is the first episode you've ever listened to of mine, uh, it will help you to understand that I believe that relationship at its root exists between two energy poles. So first of all, relationship requires two parties. If you just have one, there can be no relationship. So relationship as an item springs into existence the moment there are two, permeating all relationships that you could name. Looking around any relationship you could put your attention on, I believe that at the root of that relationship stands a transfer of energy between two poles that could be visually depicted just like this circle where one of the energy poles is at the top which I would call marker point A, and that's an outward flowing energy. And the marker point at the bottom of the circle would be marker point B, and that's an inward flowing energy. Now, although they're both energy, they also, that energy also collapses into form, okay? Gravity is sort of inward flowing, and all of like our body is held together by gravity and all forms are collapsed energy held together by this inward flowing energy. What's important to note about these two is that when we're looking at a form, okay, like at marker point B, some fleshly form, it is not absence of the spirit it originally was prior to its collapse into that form. When we're observing a form, we're observing, yes, a form, but it is the spirit which animates that form. And so it's actually two things combined. And then when a form ends and that spirit which has animated it exits that form, then of course it goes back to the top of the circle. Um, but it's so it's not like the energy exists at marker point A and then is gone at marker point B. It's that it is they reside together at marker point B, both spirit and form or flesh, but they do not reside together at marker point A. At marker point A, it's just spirit, but energy is woven throughout. And these marker points are. <clears throat> like I said, in every act of creation, wherever there is created form, what you're seeing is this energy interplay 
and that the human forms which best typify that interplay. So think of a relationship as what's occurring between two points. That dynamic, that which is occurring between two points, is best typified in the human form as the male and the female body. The reason that's the case, more specifically, is because of the way the male and female form interact to create new human life. So you have this energy, this masculine, outward-flowing energy marker point A interplaying in a certain patterned dynamic, predictably patterned, with energy marker point B in the creation of form. And so the human form is also created by these energy poles, and these energy poles are typified by the human forms aligned with that energy. I guess that's a good way to think of it is that the male body is aligned with the energy pattern flowing out of marker point A, and the female body is aligned with that energy pattern of marker point B, such that if we observe how a human child is created, then we observe a pattern for creation everywhere. And that's particularly why we call it procreation. It's like a professional grade of creation generally. So that's my belief, and that's sort of the premise for point number four, which is that woman is the realm of flesh incarnate. You with me? Did I explain that well enough? I hope so. Let me consult my notes. Notes consulted. Moving on to number five, which is that mother is the veil. Okay, so yes, the female body, all female bodies, in the way they interplay with the male body for human production, is a likeness for the way these energy poles interplay everywhere for all other production. But specifically, it is the mother uh, who is the veil because, well, just because we're talking about the birth of a child, right? So if a, a woman is not engaging in that activity, then she's not necessarily expressing that dynamic of that energy pole. She may express it in other ways. Certainly she does. And by the way, um, in other acts of creation outside of procreation, the male and the female can participate at either pole. So it's not like men can only behave according to the dynamics of this energy pole A. Uh, no, males and females energetically can engage in every act of creation uh, in either from either energy pole, because every human has both energy poles in them, and we can access that energy and act from it to create. The only limitation is in the production of the human child, where we use these bodies as they're built, and there's really no deviation uh, on that front. 
on that plane, but on every other plane of creation, yeah, it's totally interchangeable between males and females. So we're talking about the mother is the veil because we're talking about the production of a child. So since flesh is the veil and woman is the expression of the realm of flesh, that means that a mother is also the veil. When God sends his spirit children through the veil of premortality to mortality, he sends them through a mother's veil. So flesh generally, like the world of form, earth and all of its created forms, flesh, the temporal sphere is our veil and the female body embodies that realm, which is why her body comes built with a veil. Through her veil, birth is officiated, and through the veil of flesh generally is rebirth officiated. Just think about the, the likeness here between these two stories, okay? We've got, um, in the plan of salvation, our spirits pass out of our Heavenly Father's presence through the veil of mortality and then are born again out of that realm of flesh back into Heavenly Father's presence. This is much like the way our physical bodies pass out of our physical Father's presence through the veil of a woman, and then are born out of that woman, again passing through her veil. So no one is unclear about the fact that when we leave pre-mortality and come to earth, we pass through a veil. But have we noticed that we're also passing through a veil? That the veil of the woman is the veil into mortality? So it's two veils at one moment, and this is how we're going to really reach the depth of meaning of the veil, is by understanding these different layers in our initial state, in both of these stories, the st both the story of our soul's creation, where we leave a sp the spiritual realm and come to earth, and also in the story of the creation of our own bodies, in the initial stage of both of these stories, it is a state of preconception. All right, physically speaking, you know what I mean by preconception. Before we as a seed enter the realm of flesh or the woman this is called this state is called preconception but spiritually speaking also think about why we had to come to earth we had to come to earth to gain knowledge that our heavenly father had but that we did not possess at that time in our innocence that makes pre our premortal state also a state of preconception okay to conceive is to know little bit more on this comparison. Uh, Moses chapter 7 verse 26 reads, and he beheld Satan and he had a great chain in his hand and it veiled the whole face of the earth with darkness. Well, this fluid-like darkness in which this earth is enveloped, so I've illustrated that with like these diagonal lines, the bottom half of the circle, this state is as the amniotic fluid in a woman's womb. And it literally nurtures and gestates our spirit. Have you noticed that we learn through our suffering? 
Even Jesus did. The scripture says that he learned by what he suffered. And really, that's what mortality is about, suffering and learning from it. And while we're here, we have this constant connection to God, right? As Latter-day Saints, we think of that as through our covenants. Well, this constant connection to God or this other realm is, is as a child's umbilical cord. When we stay faithfully connected to God and our rebirth is complete, entering back into the presence of God, we are crowned with light. Now think about that. We are actually crowned with light both at the culmination of birth and at the culmination of rebirth. Our head is crowned with the light of the hospital room as we are born physically, but also as spiritually reborn adults or adults who are being reborn, light literally moves up through our bodies, through our earthy chakras, which are our lower chakras, and into our higher or heavenly chakras and exit out the top of our head. We are literally crowned with light as we are born and as we are reborn. And this is super exciting, and I hate to pause, but I really want to give a disclaimer for those of you, maybe potentially, who are, are skeptical about this comparison or how I've jumped from Christ to women. Yes, Christ's flesh is the veil mentioned in Scripture. Hebrews does not state that it is our flesh or a woman or flesh generally, which serves to usher us back into the presence of our Heavenly Father. But neither are they mutually exclusive. It can be both. Just as Christ is the only Savior, we don't say that anyone else is a Savior, but also, quote, Savior shall come up on Mount Zion, says Obadiah 121. Or as in John 8, 12, quote, Then spake Jesus unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. And we don't, nothing taking from that. But he also, Christ also says in Matthew 5, that we are the light of the world. My point is that anything he is credited for doing or being, he can do and be through any means he freaking wants. Are you going to try and tell me that mothers aren't saviors? The ones who perform their role fully, most definitely are. All I'm suggesting is that he, Christ, is using flesh to effect our rebirth, both his and ours and woman's, which is totally possible. And if it were true, if what I'm telling you is true, it would not negate the scripture. It looks like this. <clears throat> what I'm talking about is the difference between two and one. And look at this visual of the circle, please. It's a full circle divided with two halves. But I'm going to call the whole circle the whole. Okay, so the whole says to the half, Though I am you, you are not me. And though I know you, you know me not. So when we're talking about God and Christ, we have to remember that they are not separate from us any more than spirit is separate from created forms, right? Remember what I said? It's the spirit is in the form, okay? So God is the whole thing, but Satan knows not the mind of God. 
because Satan doesn't have the whole picture. He's just half of the story. He's a tool or an instrument in Christ's hands, just as flesh and the female form are instruments in God's hands. You with me? The function of the woman's veil does not complete the function Christ's body plays as the veil. But the function Christ's body plays as the veil encompasses the function the woman's body plays as the veil. So if you're thinking about what I'm telling you as right or wrong compared with doctrine, then you're not experiencing the depth of doctrine that's being offered here. So back to this likeness between birth and rebirth. Um, this father-mother dynamic, which exists between Heavenly Father and Christ, Heavenly Father was spirit and Christ was flesh, right? Because Heavenly Father stayed in the realm of spirit while Christ condescended from that realm into the realm of flesh. So you have one God who divides in two, and then one of them stays in the spiritual realm and one of them inhabits the realm of flesh. Okay? Remember that because that's going to be important later. So why did they do that? Well, they did it for the same reason that two parents who want to create a family uh, see that their children are going to need their needs. The children are going to need their needs constantly observed and met. They agree that one of them will stay home and be with the kids, be present with the children. So you have one God who splits in two and one of them stays in the realm of spirit and the other one descends into the realm of flesh. And they do this so that they can cooperatively bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of man or effect our rebirth. You also have one human who splits in two and then one of them takes the form of the spiritual realm as his body. The other one takes the form of the realm of flesh as her body and they work together to bring to pass the physical bodies of humankind or to effect our birth. So Christ very much is acting in the sort of traditional stay-at-home mom role. And he did it for the same reason, in order to be with us, in order that he might know us, in order that he might guide us. You see, the flesh, the realm of flesh is where the suffering happens. And suffering is where empathy is generated. And empathy is how others are saved. So anyone who has empathy with their fellow men is doing Christ's work of saving them. Going further, let's think about how males, the male form, which is the incarnate expression of the spiritual realm in which Heavenly Father stayed during the process of our rebirth, and, and the female form is the incarnation of the role Christ played in coming into the flesh, which is the place of suffering, okay? In, in these two parallel processes, the Father has it easy 
pay the labor required to deliver the father's children back into his presence was performed by Christ in the flesh and is performed by mother in her flesh. In fact, the work couldn't have been done outside the flesh. We couldn't have grown and matured had we stayed in our pre-mortal spiritual realm any more than we can grow or have grown or matured into a human had we stayed in our Father. The flesh is the yard where the work of birth and rebirth is performed. But while Heavenly Father and Christ worked together, the Father had the easier role and Christ had the laborious one. So likewise, a man and a woman work together in that process, but the man has the easier role while the woman has the more difficult role. The man's body um, is as much at ease during the work of birth as was Heavenly Father's role during the work of rebirth. Um, while the woman's body was as much at pains during her work of birth as was Christ's body during his work of our rebirth, which is what Jared Halverson is talking about with this verse in Hebrews, the work Christ did to birth us. In fact, let's play that. No wonder at the crucifixion, when Christ's body and spirit were torn apart, the veil of the temple was torn apart as well. It was the same thing. It was meant to represent that. The veil was the, the earthly shadow. Christ's own body was the heavenly form. Think about what we do when we partake of the bread of the sacrament. Bread that is torn, that represents the flesh of Christ. To me, this changes everything. No wonder he's our forerunner to pass through the veil. He allows us to pass through him. Seriously, this is mind-blowing. I agree. It is mind-blowing. And the, the veil of the temple in Jewish tradition represented the separation between two rooms, the rooms of which represented uh, uh, our mortal sphere and then our heavenly sphere to which we would want to return. And prior to Christ, that veil no one could enter. And it was symbolic of the fact that nobody could return to the presence of Heavenly Father based on their own works because the law, which is also sort of a linear expression, kept us out of heaven. Well, when Christ's body was torn, so was that veil torn, symbolically implying that we could now, because of Christ's return, to be with our Heavenly Father But a mother's body is also torn. Not on our return to Heavenly Father, but on our return to our physical Father. Is Christ's motherly act on the cross the great episiotomy? Of course, Heavenly Father suffered when Christ was on the cross, just as any good father suffers while his wife is in labor. But the lifetime of aches, pains, bleeding and tearing, belongs to the role of mother. And for the masculine role in both, Heavenly Father and an earthly father, all they can do is feel gratitude and pleasure 
at watching mother play her role. Nor is a woman's bodily suffering relegated to just that moment of birth, any more than Christ's suffering was relegated to just that moment on the cross. Month in and month out, she aches and cramps and bleeds. So likewise, Christ's whole mortal experience is aptly described as one of sorrows and acquainted with grief. This whole realm of mortality is suffering. And that realm is expressed perfectly in the female form as it relates to the male form, as this realm relates to the spiritual realm. There are parallels, uh, which is why Christ uses the metaphor of bridegroom and bride and why we talk about rebirth. That's why it's so named. Okay, so to the preconceived child, and I'm talking both about a pre-mortal spirit and a seed, a human seed. To the preconceived, to the preconceived child, returning to his father's presence and becoming what he truly is are the exact same experience. We had to leave heaven and come to mortality so that we could know God, and that is life eternal. But we also grow up in the, to the full measure of the stature of God, becoming joint heirs with him. And likewise, a human child can't even become a human without leaving the presence of his father. So returning to the father's presence, um, however you, you know, in the multiple ways we mean that, and becoming what that person truly is are the exact same experience, both physically and spiritually speaking. Universally, children are gestated by entering and then exiting the same veil. The role of a father is simply that role which stands outside of that veil, while mother is that veil. And Christ plays that mother role because a mother is present with the father's children in that special world where their growth occurs. I kind of just, I guess, eked into number six, which is Christ is the divine feminine. The reason we know that we have a Heavenly Mother but aren't necessarily praying to her or giving her a lot of, I guess, airtime is because this parallel between birth and rebirth is so instructive. And you can't have that full metaphor of being reborn unless. God is the masculine party interacting with humanity and earth as the feminine party. That's the only reason why. So let's learn from that parallel. Let's learn about what rebirth is by understanding its parallel to birth so that her lost airtime isn't wasted. In conclusion, behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son whose father is spirit and mother is flesh and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So 
Flesh is the veil, and women are the veil. And Christ is the member of the Godhead who played the divine feminine role because he inhabited flesh, because women are the incarnate expression of flesh, and because flesh is our veil. I thank you very much, Jared, for asking us to pause and let these jaw-dropping truths sink in. They certainly have for me. I hope they have for you as well. Loving you. Till next time.